going to read Psalm 46 together. This is God's word. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I chose this psalm to uh, meditate and reflect on this evening selfishly because it's a psalm that I need to hear afresh right now in this season of life. And uh, I also chose it because I'm convinced that I'm not the only person in this room who needs to hear this psalm again, uh, the implications for what it means for us. Uh, I fully believe that there are some folks in this room particularly, uh, because of the stage of life they're at, uh, the struggles and challenges that they face, that they need to hear again the teaching of this psalm. And the teaching is this. In God, security, peace, and hope are to be found. These may be words that we refer to when thinking of God and when we, when we sing. Um, they are common words. And yet I want to visit them afresh this evening and, and allow the scriptures to speak and, and, and challenge us and encourage us. And my hope is that if you identify with anything that's said in this psalm, that you will walk away this evening with a renewed security, a deeper peace, and a brighter hope for what God has done for you. So that's my plan, okay? And we're going to think about those three headings as we go through um, the scripture together. So first of all, security. Psalm 46 begins with this amazing statement. Verse 1 God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. And essentially, that is the big idea for the entire psalm. It's the, it's the headline, and the rest of the psalm is really an exposition of that big idea. God is our refuge and strength. A refuge means that God is the person or the place to whom we flee in times of trouble. Um, I studied World War II in, uh, for GCSE history, and one of the things I remember particularly was drawing a picture of what they call an Anderson shelter, which is a construction that people would have had in their back gardens, particularly if they lived in big cities, such as probably Belfast, but also London and Coventry, these areas that were quite commonly bombed by the Nazis, the Luftwaffe, and um, the idea being that it was unsafe to remain in your house during a bombing raid. 
Whereas you, when you hear the, the air raid sirens going off, you drop everything uh, in the middle of the night, you just run, you don't get dressed, and you head outside into your garden, into the Anderson shelter. And it was a very simple shelter with sort of corrugated iron roof, and inside there would have been maybe uh, beds, you would have dug a bit of a hole in the garden, you see, and, and um, so you could hunker down. But that was a, a refuge that you would flee to when the bombs were about to fall on, on your house. And it would be safe for you to be in there, safer than it would be in the house. Maybe under more modern settings, we might think uh, similarly of a nuclear bunker. Certainly there's one you know, buried, they say, under the, under the White House and you know, in America and, and a lot of big uh, buildings as well uh, for important people. Uh, if you're very rich, you may have one built into your house as well. The idea being, again, in the, in the event of nuclear war, you would flee to your bunker for safety and refuge. And what the psalmist is saying here is that in a very real sense, far more deeply and, and more great than a, a nuclear bunker, God is the one to whom we flee in times of trouble. goes on to say that God <clears throat> is our very present, or if you're reading in the NIV, our ever-present help in times of trouble. That means he's right with you. The, the technical term is imminent. He is imminent. He is, he is right here. Although it says in, we, we flee to him, we, we, we run to him, actually, we don't have to run too far. He's right with us ever-present. And so once we start to understand this headline that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble, when we, when we take that deep down into ourselves, and that's my hope and prayer for this evening, that as we think about this, this happens. As we take that down into ourselves, it says at uh, the very beginning of verse 2, therefore we will not fear. If we get that God is our refuge and strength, therefore we will not fear. Because according to the psalmist, if we so view God, we can experience a life that is free of fear, free of worry, free of anxiety, free of the concerns that just weigh around our necks. And this is good news for us, isn't it, today as we, we sit and read this, because there is so much in life that can and does concern us. Look, look with me at verses 2 through 3. It says, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. That is bad news if those things start to happen. Um, the language being used here is cataclysmic language. It speaks of disaster. It speaks of upheaval. And, and, and when you perhaps get a little more familiar with, with particularly the Old Testament scriptures, this is sort of code language for this great cataclysmic event to end all events, the end of the world. And everything in, in verses 2 and 3 depicts chaotic terror. And what the psalm, the writer of the psalm, is offering us today is that you can be faced with the worst case scenario, literally the end of the world. And because God is your refuge and strength, you will have security. 
I was given a book for my birthday several years ago called The Worst Case Scenario Handbook. You may be familiar with it. And it gives you, in a step-by-step way, ways to deal with every worst-case scenario that you're likely to come across. It teaches you, mainly by pictures, how to jump from an aeroplane into deep water. It teaches you how to deal with a shark attack if you ever find yourself in that position. It teaches you what to do when you come up against a grizzly bear. And just in case you're ever in that scenario, I'll tell you right now, um, if you come up against a grizzly bear, what the book says is don't run from it because it'll maul you to death. What you do is you stand up and make yourself big, and particularly if you've got a coat on, you open your coat, you hold it out, and you growl back at the bear. That's how to fend off a grizzly bear. It teaches you, this book, how to deal with a crocodile attack, how to dodge bullets, and other such end-of-the-world, worst-case scenarios. And it's quite a fun book to have. It's, it's, it's stupid. It's probably pointless. But it's just not as easy as that in real life, is it? When it comes to the worst-case scenario, you can't just follow a little step-by-step book, a little comedy book, to show you how to dig yourself out of a deep hole. In fact, for us, disaster and turmoil comes in many different forms. Let me propose a few forms. We are fed a constant stream through TV and and, and news outlets about the threat of global terrorism, the imminence of global wars with one nation rising up against another nation. We're we're faced almost a daily Uh, daily occurrence, the risk of nuclear fallout. Seems to be that, according to the news channels, the world is always unsteady. And it is just ready to tear itself apart from one day to the next. Not only that, when you add things like the natural disasters like we've seen recently in Indonesia and and, uh, other sort of human-made problems such as global warming, daily, you start to absorb this stuff into, into your soul. It starts to form this ongoing narrative. And if you're not careful, you will live with this constant low-level worry and anxiety and fear about what's going to happen in the world and how it's going to affect you. Disaster comes in different forms. Maybe it comes more personally than what you see on your TV screen. Like in verses 2 and 3. Perhaps for you, disaster comes when something usually so solid, so dependable, something like a rock is taken from you. If somehow it is shaken, oftentimes that comes in the form of a, a relationship. Whether it was a relationship that you've had or have that appeared to be so solid and dependable within your life. Maybe a loved one has has died and you have been bereaved. Maybe a, a friend or a close person has, has, has betrayed you. And that thing that you thought was so solid, so dependable, like the rock, like the mountain, like the earth that you stand on, was just taken out from under your feet. Perhaps it's work, a job that you thought was a solid regular job and for one reason or another it's taken away from you and you find yourself without an income and a whole bunch of bills and debt that's rising 
Maybe for you, disaster comes in the form of ill health, something you've always taken for granted. But it just takes that one diagnosis, that one trip to the doctor, and your entire world is shaken to its core. That includes, of course, your mental health. And we just had World Mental Health Awareness Day this week, and one of the amazing, overwhelming, desperate statistics that came out of that that I heard was that the leading cause of death for men under the age of 40 is suicide. Darkness. The mountains caving in on people. And in that scenario, they have no other way out. So I wonder how you cope when disaster strikes. I wonder, if are you a model of peace? Or when disaster comes, does, does it expose the grim reality, the, the weakness that you bear, but you're often able to bury? Maybe when disaster and tumult and the waves start beating, that just reveals your inability to cope, that you start crumbling apart. Well, if that's you and you identify in any way with what I've just been laying out, then let me offer you hope and encouragement because that is exactly who this psalm is written for. And that's exactly why I wanted to read this psalm with you and, and meditate on it together. Because to be quite honest with you, I don't cope as well as I want to or should do or could do with the stresses and strains and the storms of life. But it's to people like you and people like me that this psalm is written for. And possibly it's what the psalmist saw in himself or within his community. Essentially, what we have in this psalm, though, is someone saying to the church, my friends, we have such deep resources in God who is our refuge and strength. And so let us deal with our disasters and our trials. Come, let us figure out together how we can use these resources when times are dark. First of all, number one, security comes from God who is our refuge and strength. Not only security though, but peace. Note the sudden change of scenario when we get to verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. We've just gone from the the roaring waters, uh, the foaming oceans, the trembling mountains, the earth quaking and giving way, scenes of turmoil and, and chaos, and then suddenly... It's almost like a new scene begins. The camera switches to another scenario. Verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. From chaos and rage and blackness to tranquility and peace. Do you notice, though, that there is water in both of these scenarios? Whereas water brings death and threat in verses 2 and 3, water brings life 
and gladness and joy in verse 4. And we see this water is flowing through the city of God. And the city of God is the place where God lives, but it's also the place where God's people live with him. And this is no surprise. It brings us back a little bit in our minds to the very early uh, passages in the Bible, Genesis 2, the Garden of Eden. God made this amazing garden. And it says in verse 10 of chapter 2, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became in four rivers. <coughs> the name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of the Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bedelium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon, the one that flows around the whole land of Cush. The third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth is the Euphrates. The people of the ancient times, the Hebrew people, were very familiar with this idea of a river flowing around the city of God, the place of God, giving life. But this is more than just a water feature, because there is no surprise when we get to the end of the Bible, the other side, in the renewed Eden, the new heavens and the new earth of Revelation 22. We see that in the center of the city of God, coming from his throne, is the river of the water of life which flows from God into the city of God and bringing with it life and healing to the nations. And so here in the psalm, sort of stuck between those two poles, if you like, our eyes are drawn to the river in this city, the city of peace, the city where God lives. And because it is the city of peace, because God is there, it says she shall not be moved. The mountains may move, the oceans may roar and foam, even the earth may pass away, but the city of God shall not be moved. What a contrast to the turmoil and disruption of the outside world. But look at verse 6, because this is important to our understanding practically. We'll see in a few moments. Verse 6 says this, The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. Whilst there is peace, you see, and calm within the city of God, it seems to be that the nations are still raging outside. This, this raging, this turmoil is still happening. The kingdoms totter, but it's away from the city. Inside the city is peace and security, whilst the storm continues to rage outside. Instead of darkness, there is light. Instead of terror, there is peace. And this is important practically for us to know. As we come to this scripture, note, it is not that the storms cease. It is not a case of come to God and all will be well. Because that's a false promise. And it only leads to disillusionment. It is not a case of some kind of spiritual detachment where we can dissociate from our problems, that the suffering is just an illusion. It is not the case that when you come to God, you are suddenly raptured, you're suddenly beamed up to an alternate realm like something in Star Wars, Star Trek, sorry. But let me tell you what it is. What we see here in verses four to seven is a city that you and I can enter now and we can experience peace in our trials now 
and it is our refuge and strength in the middle of turmoil and crisis and disaster which is happening outside. You're inside the city of God and this turmoil is outside. It's walled off. It can't touch you. That's what the psalmist is pointing to. He's offering us resilience to face the darkness. He's offering us strength where we have none. He's offering us security when you feel that everything that you had previously looked to for security was taken away. Instead, you get all those things when you enter the city of God. You're safe. And it is a place of peace because God is supreme. He is over all. See that? He utters his voice, verse 6, and the earth melts. We get worried about the earth melting and falling away. But God's voice comes over that. He utters his voice. He is over everything. When God speaks, the entire cosmos listens. He is supreme. It is not you that is supreme in the universe. It is not the raging forces that are supreme in the universe. It is not the swirling seas. It is not your personal circumstances that crash against you that are supreme. It is not world powers. It is not the person with the finger on the big red button attached to a nuclear bomb. God is supreme. And for that reason, in him and him alone is refuge and strength and peace. We've seen how God is our security. He's our refuge and strength. We've seen how in his city there is peace and protection from the turmoil. And finally, we see hope. Hope. How do we know? How do we know that all of this is for us? How do we know this is real, what we're reading here? Let's not get our hopes up. Let's not be stirred because we relate to this. We relate to this turmoil or this blackness or this weight or this heaviness or this darkness in whatever form. Let's not get our hopes up. But the rest of the psalm gives us good reason to trust what it is saying and to receive the blessing. It says in verse 8, the beginning of verse 8, Come, behold the works of the Lord. That is important. Behold the works of the Lord. What the psalmist is saying is, look, it's, it's an invitation. Look, examine, appraise what God has done. See his mighty works. See how he has acted. You see, it is important for us to understand as Christians and those looking into the Christian faith, the God, the God of Christianity is not some sort of empty abstraction, some sort of idea that we've just had. The God of Christianity is the one who enters into human history. He is the one who acts concretely. He is the one whose actions can be observed in human history. They can be recorded. They can be attested to. 
That's why he's called the God of Jacob. He is a God who has real relationships with historic people. He is the God who effectively steps down from heaven to earth and reveals himself, who speaks and who acts and who makes covenants with guys like Jacob and Moses and Abraham and us. Come, behold the works of the Lord. Verse 8 goes on. See how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease. Look, recall, remember what he has done. The plagues that he brought down on Egypt, the desolations on Egypt. How he parted the Red Sea to allow the entire nation to travel through. How he neutralized the Egyptian army. Look and see. Observe how he made the walls of Jericho to fall down so that Israel could go in and take the victory. Look and see how he caused floods to cover the surface of the earth. Look and see how he has routed armies, how he has brought the victory to his people. Come, behold, says God, let me prove it. Here we have in this psalm a God who steps into the tumult and the darkness and he roars at his enemies and he roars at the darkness. Be still and know that I am God. It's a shout, it's a cry, it's a command, be still. You see, what the psalmist is not offering here is a chance for you to get whisked out of your problems. What the psalmist is offering us today is security and peace and hope because God steps in to your problems and troubles. And God tells us in the scriptures, spoke clearest of all. When he stepped into the tumult and the danger, when he became flesh, he became one of us. When he experienced firsthand the suffering and the darkness and the injustice and the cruelty of betrayal and death of friends, when he had the ground removed from under him. When he came to declare that the city of God is here. When he gave himself to death on a cross for sin. And when he rose on the third day and brought death to death itself. When he gave himself, the city of God broke through. On that day, light pierced the darkness. God came among his people permanently. At the cross, God says, Be still and know that I am God. I shall be exalted in the earth. This future realm of God's kingdom, this city of God is is, is breaking in now. That's how we can experience living in a city within the darkness of the world. And we've just been confessing in the Apostles' Creed that Jesus, the Son of God, who died and rose again and ascended to the right hand of the Father, shall come again to bring an end to wars, to break the bow and the spear. No more war, no more death. The sea will be stilled. 
The city of God will expand to cover the whole earth. Instead, there will be a river of joy and gladness, of water, of life flowing to us. Everything in its rightful place, everything perfectly arranged. That is the great hope of the Christian faith. And we see that by entry into the city of God. It's a city that we can enter now through embracing Jesus as the resurrected Saviour, as Lord over all. That's how we enter right now. We enter through Him. We enter by faith in Him. So as we close out, let's think of how this affects us practically. How does this affect us practically? When we look at God stepping down into the darkness by sending his son, when you know that through him you enter the city of God so that you could be with God and he's with you, then it will change you. It will change you. Once you come into the city of God, And once you know you're in the city of God, you will start to respond differently to the challenges, to the darkness, to the foaming waters beating against your life. You will not be taken out of the turmoil in one sense. These multiple threats and challenges and difficulties in your life will continue to come against you and may continue to come against you in the future. But you know that because of Jesus and through faith in him, you are in that city. And when you get that, you will act, react, should I say, differently. When you see what the psalmist is talking about and how that is open to everyone who looks at Jesus, then you will start to experience peace instead of the terror of the darkness. You will start to have hope for the future instead of dread. You will start to notice joy growing within you instead of fear. Not because the circumstances in themselves are joyful or peaceable or hope-filled, but because you start to see things from a very different perspective. You start to see things as a citizen of the city of God and not as a citizen of the dark world. That's what you'll experience. That's what other people will see in you, by the way. They'll see you respond with calmness when everyone expects you to crash and burn. Others will see you giving evidence of joy when everyone expects you to be in the pit of despair. You might see it in yourself. You will see it in yourself, but don't forget you're often the last person to see it. Other people will see it in you first. That's how you know it's real. So what do we do? What do we do in closing? We preach this gospel to ourselves every day. We've got to. 
You might know the gospel because you've grown up in the church or you come to foundation and you hear us talk about it every week. But that does not mean that you are taking it and using it and feeding on it. We have to preach the gospel to us every day. We have to be reminded through the scriptures that we're in the city of God and he's our refuge and strength. We have to teach it to one another because it is incredibly difficult, if not impossible, to be a private Christian. That is why God gives us the Christian community, the gospel community, to push this into one another's hearts. When you are too dark and desperate and at the bottom of the pit, you need other people around you who are going to love you enough to push the gospel into your heart. And that's what church is all about. That's what church is all about. Preach it to each other. And finally, speak it to those outside. Speak it to those outside. The world needs to hear and experience the security, the peace and the hope that only come from God, who is our refuge, your refuge and strength, because Jesus stepped in to the darkness for you.